Morning, family. My name is Joseph Hauser, and this is my wife, Christina, and we will be reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said, Cain, said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you, face, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his, Abel, to his brother Abel, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good morning, church. It is good to be with you uh, this morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Matt Ortiz, one of the pastors here. And, and if we haven't met yet, uh, I would be encouraged uh, if you would introduce yourself uh, to me afterwards, I'd love to, uh, to get to know you. Uh, side note before I launch into this, uh, Friday night, we had a church family meeting. And uh, I know some of you wanted to be there, but you, you couldn't. Um, but I was really encouraged by uh, the 52 to 55 adults that were there. Um, who expressed their love and devotion for the church, and, um, and then to hear uh, from you all in a time of interaction that we had, uh, how God has encouraged uh, you lately and has grown you in your faith. Um, and, uh, and by hearing your testimony, you have grown my faith, so I want to thank you all for that. If you wanted to be here but, but you couldn't make it, um, we, we did record it, and we'll make that um, link available to you um, soon, and we'll let you know. But um, what I was thinking, I was telling Vicky while we were standing out there just welcoming people in, um, you know that I love you, and, um, and I've always felt close and 
Uh, you all have just graciously have expressed your love to, to me personally and to, to my family. And on Friday night and since Friday night, uh, I feel uh, even closer uh, as a family. So uh, I'm, I've just been blessed by that, and I wanted you to know that. So, so thank you for being my family. I really do love all of you. Now, let's get into uh, this morning's message. We are in a, a series called Prepare for a Spiritual Battle. The reason is because it's easy to forget that the evil one is real, that the evil one wants to destroy you, he wants to destroy your church, he wants to destroy your faith, he wants to destroy God's kingdom. It's so easy for you to forget that you are in the middle of an ongoing, relentless spiritual battle. You are in it, whether you feel like it or not, whether you realize it or not, you are in the middle of a spiritual battle right now. We began our series, Preparing for Spiritual Battle, looking how the evil one tries to destroy you and your faith through suffering. Today we will see how the evil one tempts you into destroying yourself and others through devastating, destructive sin. Now, if this is the first time you heard this passage of Scripture, I think it's right for you to recognize it as something pretty dramatic. Some of you heard it a bunch of times and you're used to the story and, and you lost sight of how dramatic this, this really is. But if you hear it with new ears and see it with new eyes, or if it was the first time that you've ever read the story, you see how dramatic it is, and maybe you read it and you think, what in the world was that all about? In this passage of Scripture, we witness the first homicide in human history. And it's not just any murder. It's the murder of a brother by his brother. And this story, of course, raises all kinds of questions. And so what we need to do is we need to kind of just slow down, pause a minute, look at this carefully so that we're not distracted by the murder. Because this is not just a case study about murder. This right here is a case study about life. It's a case study about your life, a case study about my life. And I think that this story right here, if we understand it correctly, will help you in the middle of your spiritual battle that you are in the midst of right now. Now, case studies usually reveal foundational principles, and that's what we see here. We see two foundational truths that we're going to work through this morning. Two foundational truths about life east of Eden. Life in a messed up world, in a cursed world, where paradise seems just beyond your grasp. Now these two truths are so crucial that drawing out their implications and applying them to your life, or not, will determine if you experience life breathed into you or life just being sucked out of you. So let's look at each of these two principles. What are they? First is this. Throughout your life, throughout your day, throughout the night, 
throughout your week, throughout your weekends, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is constantly crouching at your door. That's the first of two that we're going through this morning. Let me explain what I mean by this. In verse six and seven, the Lord goes to Cain before the murder. And the Lord says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. In other words, sin is like a wild beast. And God says, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, what do we learn from God's metaphor here? First, critical truth. That sin is deceitful and sin is powerful. Sin is more deceitful than you think and more powerful than you think. So why do wild animals crouch? Wild animals crouch to hide and pounce, right? They crouch so you can't see them. And if you do see them, you think, you know, something else. So that's just like a tree or, or a bush or, or something. Or, or maybe you, you see it and you think, you know, that's just a small little animal. And so you relax. You let your guard down. And then it pounces and takes you out. Sin is like that. It is deceitful. It is powerful. Sin always hides itself. It crouches so, so that you can't see it. And, and, and he says that if you do see it, you think it's something else. Like, you know what, what's the problem? It's not, the big, it's not a big deal. That's just the way that I was raised. I hear that as an excuse so often. That's just the way I was raised. Or if we see it and we know it's sin, we might think, yeah, you know what, maybe, it's, maybe I shouldn't do that. It's not a big deal. It can't hurt anybody. It's a victimless sin. And so we let our guard down. We relax. And then sin pounces. And it eats you alive. Selfishness, self-pity, bitterness, pride, greed, Envy, jealousy, manipulation, lust, gossip might look like small things at first. You can handle it. You can stop whenever you want. But then you can't. It's a power that takes on a life of its own and that takes over your life. Its desire is for you to have its way with you. And sin is not just something you do, it's something that does you. It does you in. So it's critical for you to, sell, for you to ask yourself this. And I want you to ask it in this moment as we're going through God's word, as we're focusing on who Jesus is and what he has done and the difference that it makes in your heart and life. I want you right now to ask the Holy Spirit in the quietness of your own mind, what are my crouching sins? Do you know your crouching sin? Is there something that comes to your mind? Now, I've shared this with you before, but I, I think it's important, especially for, for this marriage, to, uh, this, this message, to share it again. Um, and that's quickly my, my wife's testimony. My 
wife grew up a good Baptist girl in a Baptist school from since she was little till she graduated. And um, she was really good at keeping all the rules. And they had a lot of rules, even rules that weren't in the Bible. They just came up with new ones. And she was great at it. Shortly after we were married, she comes to me and says, is this, is this all there is to Christianity? I mean, I know all the Bible stories. I know all the rules. I know all the good advice, all the counseling. Is this all there is? And, and I was compelled to ask her, and um, this is public, this is her, her testimony. Uh, I, I, I asked her, I, have you asked God to show you the sin in your heart and in your life? We talked about that a, a little bit. She started praying that. And it changed her relationship with God and her understanding of the gospel. Later, she told me when I asked her um, to pray that God would show her the sin in her heart, she said, she told me this, she said, what sin? So often we can't see it, especially if we're good at being good. We can't see it. Then the Holy Spirit answered that prayer shown a, a, a gracious light on her heart. And she gave, her, she gave her testimony in front of our church at the time, talking about how she didn't realize how self-righteous she was or how she didn't think she really needed, needed grace. And then God answered that prayer and showed her how badly she needed grace, but also how glad God was, able to, was willing to, to share that grace with her. And how much God delighted in her in spite of, you know, her self-righteousness. Now, I, I'm, if you think I'm throwing my wife under the bus, I'm, I'm not. Okay, this is a public testimony of, of hers. And I think it's an important testimony for the church. Because normally we're impressed by, like, the drug kingpins who, you know, fell off their motorcycle on the road to El Centro. And a great bright light blinded them and they talked to God and now they're a pastor. You know, we like those kind of testimonies, which is great. Thank God for that. But I think it's important, especially the longer you become a Christian, for testimonies like this, for us to always see that we always need God's grace. It's critical. And so my encouragement to you is the same this morning. Ask God to show you what your crouching sins are. And he will lovingly give you a diagnosis if you go to the doctor, you don't know what's wrong with you, and doctor after doctor after doctor say, ah, we don't know. You're frustrated, right? Because you don't know how to treat it. Then you come across the doctor who knows what's up, what knows what's going on, gives you a diagnosis, and you're grateful for it because you know something could be done about it. So ask God for a diagnosis of your heart. God, is, God wants to heal you. He's not going to rub your nose in it. He wants to heal you. Now, What's the difference between Cain and Abel? And maybe you think someone who would murder is someone who, you know, just doesn't believe in God. They're like an evil atheist who probably hangs out with bad crowd and does drugs under the bridge. And, and they yell and they fight and they have pentagrams tattooed on their forehead or something. But that's not what we see here. 
Like Abel, Cain knows God, believes in God. Cain talks to God. Cain is trying to obey and worship God. But then he kills his brother. Crouching sin. Do you know your crouching sin? I like how Tim Keller uh, describes this. He's an author and a pastor. Uh, he's, he kind of rolls it out this way, um, how we kind of justify uh, or ignore our own sin. I'm not an approval addict. I just care what people think. I'm not a perfectionist. I just think anything worth doing is worth doing well. I don't lust. I just admire God's beautiful creation. I'm not lazy. I'm just easygoing. Or I'm not angry. I'm just a passionate person. I'm not critical. I just have some concerns. I'm not a gossip. I just think we should know, should know how to pray for each other. I'm not critical. I just have high standards, and you should too. I'm not self-centered. I just stand up for my rights. Does that sound familiar? What are your crouching sin? What comes to mind? If you don't know, you are in trouble. If you don't know, you are in serious trouble. So ask God to graciously give you a diagnosis of your heart. He wants to bring healing to you. If you don't know and don't care, then you relax, you let your guard down, and just like with Cain, sin will pounce. You will not simply do sin, sin will do you. So here's the next question. What drives your crouching sin? In other words, what's the sin beneath this sin? Maybe you don't know yet, and I think this will help. Why did Cain, why did he get so angry? Verse six, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Now, God right here isn't asking because he doesn't know. He's not asking for new information. He is trying to help Cain see what is driving his crouching sin, to help Cain see the sin beneath the sin so that Cain will see his madness, repent, and then experience relief and joy and healing. So why is Cain angry? Well, God accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain. So why isn't Cain happy for his little brother? Why is he so angry that he ends up killing his brother and rejecting God? What is wrong with Cain's heart? Well, I think we learned something about their names here. Now, let me say a note about names in the Bible. Names are significant in the Bible. And for thousands of years since this story, when people think of Cain, they think of a jealous man. And when they think of Abel, they think of a faithful man. But first, originally, the name Cain in Hebrew implied productive, fruitful, successful. That's what the name Cain implied. And the name Abel implied worthless, meaningless, empty. Now, if your kid's name is Abel, or your grandkids are named Abel, be reassured that the name has come to mean something different entirely, so you can be encouraged. You can look it up in the baby book names and you can verify that. It's all good now. But in our story here, Cain is somebody, Abel is a nobody. And why do they have these names? 
Well, look at verse 1 and 2. Eve gets so excited when Cain is born, but nothing is said about Abel's birth. It says, Eve, in verse 1, Eve conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've given birth to a man with the help of the Lord. But when Abel is born, it says later, she bore his brother Abel. Cain was the winner. Cain was the pride and the joy of his parents. He was successful. That's my boy. Abel, not so much. Why did Cain get so upset? Why does Cain get angry when God blesses his little brother? There's a Croatian theologian named Miroslav Volf. Uh, he's an author and writes this. He says of, of Cain and Abel, first came envy. Cain was angry because Abel, who was a nobody, would be regarded, while he, who was clearly a somebody, would be disregarded. Cain's identity was constructed from the start in relationship to Abel. He was great because he was better than Abel. And when God favored Abel, Cain either had to uh, readjust his identity or eliminate Abel. When Cain is confronted with God's measure of what truly matters and what is truly great, he has to exclude both God and Abel because his premise goes like this. If Abel is who God regards him to be, then I am not who I understand myself to be. The power of sin, Miroslav Volf says, rests not so much on some insuppressible urge of violence than on the reasoning of the perverted self, which insists on maintaining its own false identity. Of course, these reasons are persuasive only to the perverted self, not to anyone else. That is why Cain keeps silent when God asks, why are you angry? See, the sin beneath all sin is to build an identity outside of God. Whether it's through self-righteousness or licentiousness. Whether it's keeping the rules uh, to create a, a name for yourself and, and maybe to earn gifts from God or whatever so you can feel good about yourself. Or if it's through licentiousness and just doing whatever you want, what you're doing is you're deciding uh, for yourself what is right and wrong, making yourself, setting yourself up to be your own God. In either situation, it's pride, and you're finding an identity outside of God. The power beneath our crouching sin is when we say, what makes me of value is that I'm living up to a standard. For Cain, maybe it was a standard set by his parents. It might be the same for you or a standard that you created yourself. For Cain, maybe it was being, you know, a successful farmer. For you, maybe it's being a successful musician or being successful in your career or being a successful student or a successful pastor or a successful business owner or a successful dad or a successful mom or a successful writer or whatever. Whatever it is, God shows Cain, God shows Cain that he has a totally different identity system, and Cain goes mad. Cain had defined himself all his life as the better kid, and he couldn't handle God saying that Abel was the better kid. Then who am I? He has a world-shattering identity crisis. And the same thing will happen to you. 
anyone whose identity is based on anything other than God, I'm telling you, is fragile. I don't, hear, I don't care how, how good it seems that they have it all together or how religious they may seem to be. Anyone whose identity is based on anything other than God is fragile. Again, if you, if, if, you, if you build your identity on being a good parent and your kid gets in trouble, you go mad. If you build your identity on, and you take it out of your kids, if you build your identity on being a success at work and you don't get the promotion or, you, or you're fired, you go mad. If you build your identity on your appearance, aging will drive you mad. If you build your identity on a relationship or a special person and that, that relationship comes to an end for one reason or another, you go mad. Because you don't know who you are anymore outside of this identity that you've made for yourself outside of God. God is asking you, do you see, do you know what your life is built upon? And every problem that you have in your life is an opportunity to grow and find your true identity in God. Sin is crouching at the door. Wants to take you out. Wants you to think it's no big deal. That's the first basic principle we see here. And the second of the two is this. Grace is near. Thank God grace is near. Uh, this truth is clear in this text. You know, what is, what is the difference between Cain and Abel? On the surface, there is no difference. On the surface, there is no difference. It's very common for us to say, you know what? I know how to deal with crouching sin and gain salvation. Be good, give to the poor, go to church, read my Bible, pray, uh, try to obey God. And you know, sometimes, again, we'll, we'll even add extra stuff that's not even in the Bible, like don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do. Cain's got it down. He's good at being good. So what went wrong? Why wasn't Cain's sacrifice accepted? The clearest answer is found in the New Testament. You can't understand the Old Testament without the New Testament. You can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. So in Hebrews 11.4 it says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Oh, okay, so I get it. Uh, Abel offered a sacrifice in faith. So that means that Abel believed in God and Cain didn't. Oh, well, I believe in God, so I guess we're cool. That's not it. The Bible tells us that the demons believe in God and tremble. So just believing that God exists is not enough. God's talking to Cain and Cain is talking back to God. Cain believed in God. It's not talking about faith in God in general. It's talking about faith in God and his grace. Abel believed in the grace of God. Cain did not. Abel believed in the gospel. Cain did not. See, both Cain and Abel knew from their parents of God's promise to send a deliverer. We see in Genesis 3.15 that the deliverer will crush the evil one's head. This is the promise of Jesus Christ. 
And God says, someday I will send someone to deliver you from sin and death. Abel offered his sacrifice in faith, believing in that promise. Cain did not. Abel's offering was given in gratitude for God's gift of salvation. Cain's was not. So if Cain didn't offer his sacrifice in response to salvation, then how did he give it? Abel received salvation as a gift through faith. Cain, whether he's conscious of it or not, he's trying to earn salvation through his own efforts. And the same is often for us, it's true of us. Whether we're conscious of it or not, usually not, because remember, sin is deceitful. We try to earn our good standing with God through our own efforts. And what is the point? The point is this. Salvation is a gift. It is not earned. Salvation is a gift. It is not earned. Do you see the difference? See, if, if you're going to church and giving and doing good deeds, trying to obey God, all good things, okay? Don't, don't misunderstand me. All good things. Stuff we should do. But if we're doing them not primarily out of gratitude for the fact that God completely welcomes you and completely accepts you and completely loves you because of Jesus, then our sacrifice is a way of trying to get God to do things for us. And then we're more like Cain than Abel. God may use, you know, lesser things to motivate us um, from time to time, but grace and gratitude is primary. It must be. If there's any other motivation that gets involved, it, the point of it is for God to bring us to our greatest motivation, which is gratitude for God and his grace. Nothing creates a stronger loyalty to God than gratitude for his grace. Nothing does. So let's apply this. How can you know if you're living like Cain? Well, like Cain, you're selfishly angry. Cain is bitter and mad at God. God's not doing what he wants. If you say, oh, I know that I'm saved by grace, but you're not mad because God's not giving you the life that you want, then you're not believing that you're saved by grace, and you're more like Cain than Abel. If you're critical of others, you'll feel superior and, and, and you'll say, I'm, I'm totally grateful for grace. But then you're always looking down at others and acting that you're better than them, consciously or unconsciously. Then you don't understand grace. And you're more like Cain than Abel. One, one thing I'll, more I'll mention is you're joyless. You lack an inner sense of God's love and approval that, that assurance of salvation and the result, there's little joy in your life. And if you say, yeah, I know that I'm saved by grace, but you lack peace and joy, then you're actively believing, then you're not actively believing that you're saved by grace. And we're more like Cain than Abel. And this, that's, that, this is my major hang up. This is where I fall. So how can we become more like Abel? You know, gracious, generous, joyfully obedient, and loyal. It's by receiving the gift of salvation through faith. 
Faith, not just in the existence of God, but specifically faith in the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Faith in God's promised one who delivers you from sin and death. Faith in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12 says, You have come to Jesus and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So as Tim Keller likes to say, there is a true and better Abel. And do you remember, do you remember who killed Jesus? It was not the so-called unwashed masses. It was not the thieves. It was not the prostituted. It was not the despised. It was not the addicts. It was the kings, the elder brothers, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Cain's killed the true Abel's. I hope that sinks in. So easy to walk away from here and forget that. In verse 10, God said to Cain, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And for what does Abel's blood cry out? Abel's blood cries out for justice. All unjustly shed blood cries out for justice. But Jesus' blood cries out differently. It cries out for justice and grace. John says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Jesus' blood cries out to God for justice. Therefore, God must forgive you. Do you see how secure you are in Jesus? Once you put your faith in Jesus, then for God to not forgive you would be unjust. That is how secure you are in Jesus. That is how God's grace enables for you to take your sin seriously. You don't just have to shrug your shoulders and sweep it under the rug or try to convince yourself it's not that bad. Or, or maybe, you know, sin's got its hooks into you and, and you have fallen into some horrible addiction and you feel just some deep shame. And, and, and you know, some people will say, it's okay, just let it slide or whatever. Uh, but God wants to heal you from that. He wants to bring healing into your life. And so God's grace leads you to pull things out from under the carpet Bring it into the light for a diagnosis and then for treatment, the application of the gospel. You don't have to hide your sin with God. You can freely confess it, pretending like it's no big deal. It just, you're getting played by the evil one. He's isolating you. He wants to destroy you and your faith and he wants to destroy others through you. Once you put your faith in Jesus, then for God to not forgive you would be unjust. 
on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for your sin once and for all time. And now his shed blood for, for you cries out from the ground. And you know what Jesus' blood is crying out to God? You know what Jesus' blood is crying out to God? It is crying out, I am not asking for mercy. I am asking for justice. By my grace, I died for their sin. That's how secure you are in Jesus. Now, the wrong way to respond to this truth is to think that we have a green light, a free pass from Jesus to do whatever we want in sin. It's no big deal. Jesus forgives me. That is the twisting of the gospel. Jesus died to deliver you from sin and to give you the better blessing of walking with him. When you have this kind of assurance from Jesus, it makes you more devoted, it makes you more gracious, it makes you more generous, it makes you more joyful, it makes you more joyfully obedient. Abel's instead of an angry, self-righteous, bitter Cain's. And then, you know, I want to mention this. You'll also be able to do for Cain's what God does. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. You know what's interesting here? What we see here is that God becomes Cain's protector. <laughs> Cain rejected God's warning, killed his brother, denied his guilt, and complained about his punishment, right? And yet God shows Cain's mercy. How can God be so merciful? That's who he is. <laughs> God is merciful. That's God. And here's the deal, to the extent that you know and have experienced God's mercy because you needed it, you will be able to look at others like Cain and you will love them with mercy. See, Cain's hate Abel's, but Abel's never hate Cain's. Do you follow me? Cain's hate Abel's, but Abel's never hate Cain's. It took me a while uh, to, to learn this. Once I started understanding um, you know, kind of gospel centrality and the implications of what it, what it meant, I initially got really angry, really angry with judgmental people and self-righteous people. And then I realized that I was being judgmental towards judgmental people. And I was being self-righteous towards self-righteous people. I had become the very thing that I hated. Cain's hate Abel's. Abel's never hate Cain's. And God doesn't just show mercy to Cain. Also, God is merciful to all in need. Like Cain, uh, God asks us, where is your brother? Cain says, what am I, my brother's keeper? But grace says, my brother is anyone in need. And so that means to the extent that you know God's love and grace, you will show God's love and grace. And you will leave here looking for opportunities. That's why God has called us to be a church both in the city and for our city. It's not an us versus them situation here. Find out where your brother or sister is. Reach out to them with grace. For example... Every Friday and Saturday, we have dozens and dozens and dozens of people who don't go to church who show up right here at the front doors. They just show up. They come to us. And they receive free food. 
you have an opportunity to bless them. You could be here on Fridays and or Saturdays. Get to know them personally. Pray with them. Learn from them. Share the gospel with them as a friend would. So that they not only receive the free gift of food, but so they can also receive the free gift of God's grace and salvation. Those are the two foundational truths. Throughout your life, sin is crouching, but grace is near. The evil one wants to devour you. Uh, Jacob Perry emphasized this a few weeks ago in the first service. In Owen's book, The Mortification of Sin. You always have to be killing sin, or sin will always be killing you. It's never passive. The evil one wants to devour you, for you to be its prey, like Cain. Peter tells us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith. And the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him. Be the dominion forever and ever. You become less like Cain and more like Abel as you trust the true Abel whose life was given for you and his blood speaks graciously for you. Put your trust in him. It is the only hope you have in your ongoing relentless spiritual battle. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me?